Hello and welcome to the Particular Baptist Podcast, a podcast that is part of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. You can check us and other shows out at reformpodcast.com. Uh, and today we're taking a little bit of a different turn with our topics. Um, we're combining a couple of different topics today. Um, hopefully that will be beneficial. Uh, but with that, I'll let Sean introduce what we're going to be discussing today. Yeah, so we're going to be discussing really uh, two things. We're going to continue along on um, our journey through an Orthodox catechism. Today we'll go through chapter three, which is pretty short. There's only three questions in there. Uh, and so uh, with of our time, we'll be dealing with a video um, uh, featuring the Pope and uh, some of his uh, comments um, that we felt needed to be addressed. But um, anyway, starting off with uh, question 25 of an Orthodox Catechism. This is from uh, chapter 3, which is of man's redemption, God the Father. Um, Question 25. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? Answer, I believe in the everlasting Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who made nothing, made of nothing heaven and earth, with all that are in them, who likewise upholds and governs, this, governs the same by his eternal counsel and providence. This God I believe to be my God and Father for Christ's sake, and therefore to trust in him and rely on him, that I do not doubt that he will provide all things necessary, both for my soul and body, but also whatever evils he sends on me in this troublesome life, he will, he will turn out to my safety because both he is able to do it being God almighty and willing to do it being a bountiful father. So first question, just going through, um, who is God, the father and, um, what is his role in the, in the Christian life essentially? So, uh, as it says, God the Father is our creator. He's the creator of all things. Um, just looking at a couple interesting things I found in this uh, in this uh, answer, question and answer. Um, this God, I believe uh, to be my God and Father for Christ's sake, which I found that language to be interesting. We don't normally think of believing in God the Father as Father for Christ's sake. We think of it as believing for our sake so that we would be saved or believing it purely because it's, it's true, not necessarily for Christ's sake. So I was trying to figure out what exactly was meant by this. And um, I came to basically two conclusions, although I think one is probably more correct um, for Christ's sake in the sense that um, uh, we're believing for um we believe because we love Christ and therefore we want to believe in God, the father, which is um, probably correct or uh, excuse me is, um, is true. I think what's more correct is um, that uh, the reason we believe is for Christ's sake, because God has caused us to believe we're, we're good Calvinists in that regard. God <laughs> has caused us to believe and he's done that for Christ's sake. And um, a couple of verses to back this up. Um, and it would help if I had the right page on my notes up, um, Titus one, two in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Now the question is, who did he promise to? If it's before the world began, there's only, there's only three, the father, the son, and the spirit. So clearly this is a promise, uh, within the members of the Trinity. 
So there's a promise that there's going to be eternal life for some before the world began. And then um, Ephesians 5, 25 hus- uh, through 27, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So one of the purposes for which uh, Christ redeems is that he would be able to present to himself a a church without spot and wrinkle and blemish. And obviously, God the Father, um, our salvation being a triune act, is participating in that. So I think our our believing, our redemption, is also for Christ's sake. Hmm. Um, then uh, going on a little bit, um, that I do not doubt... Uh, that he will provide all things necessary both for my body and or soul and body. Um, we have a good good heavenly Father who does take care of us um, through whatever might come in this world. He is he is willing to take care of us. And um, one of the verses I know Dan that you had that ready was uh, Matthew six twenty six. Uh, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much more, or much better than they? So, if God is willing to take care of the littlest things in this world, how much more is He willing to take care of us? And how much more is He willing to take care of those who are His sons and daughters um, by faith? Then, um, finally, um, let's see. Uh, because both he is able to do it, being God Almighty, and willing to do it, being a bountiful father. Uh, we believe wholeheartedly that God is able to um, to do all these things. Um, he is he's, um, 100% capable. And this get, sort of gets into uh, the distinction between like a, a deist God and, and our God. Earlier in the uh, answer... Um, it said that uh, with all that are uh, in them, referring to the heavens and earth, who likewise upholds and governs the same by his eternal counsel and providence. Um, the deist God makes the universe and then just pulls back and doesn't interact with it anymore. But our God, um, he intervenes. He's constantly upholding the universe, which uh, many sort of try to characterize Calvinism unintentionally or intentionally. Uh, as basically God set everything into motion, everything's predestined, and now things just work according to uh, essentially robotic motion or whatever was predestined. And in, in a sense, we obviously do believe everything's predestined, but it also requires God's active force and active intervening in the world to bring all that predestination about, those predestined ends about. And uh, this answer uh, captures that well. We don't believe in a God that just doesn't care and set things about and now is, is done with it. He's, he's intervening in this world for us. Yep. That's exactly right. And um, kind of along those lines of, of God's providence. Well, let me back up a little bit. So the, the chapter itself is set right after um, Hercules Collins has talked about an introduction to man's redemption. And he's laid out 
our state before God. He's laid out our sinful state and our need of uh, a savior. And now he's kind of, it, it appears he's going into what is the triune act of redemption in, uh, in bringing about uh, his people to himself. So what is the act of God and the persons of the Trinity involved in that act of bringing man to himself? And so he starts to lay out you know, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in their role. So here we see kind of an overview of who God the Father is. God the Father is sovereign. And, and we would say this is obviously true of the Son and the Spirit. It's not just uh, limited to the Father, but specifically talking about the Father, he, is, uh, he made the heavens out of nothing what we would call ex nihilo. We see this in, in Genesis 1, 1 through 2. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So you can even see here there is there are multiple persons involved in the creation of the world. It's not just the Father. Um, but the, the world was created out of nothing, uh, essentially creation as uh, our brother Richard Barcellus has talked about, it's and creation is anything that is not God. God brought into being that which was not God. And so God having this power is able to do all that he pleases as uh, one of the proof texts laid out here. Um, we see in Psalm 115.3, but our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. He is perfectly and completely sovereign. He is able to bring about all his goodwill. And I do want to expound upon this passage a little bit more um, so we can uh, understand more what the context is here. Uh, if we look at the rest of the chapter, starting in verse 3, um, and I'm going to go to verse 8. It says, but our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. And this theme of contrasting, but God contrasting himself between uh, the idols and those who make them uh, is a theme we see in Isaiah. And we'll get to that in a second. But I want to read... Uh, from Calvin's commentary on the Psalms on uh, this passage. Uh, he says, saying that our God is, oh, I'm sorry, the statement he does all that pleases him is an important doctrine, provided it is used properly and not abused by curious persons. First, God has all power to preserve and provide for his church. Second, all creatures are under his control, therefore nothing can frustrate his purposes. Clearly, while chance is ruled out, the faithful can be assured of God's control. No obstacle can impede his will. So we see God establishing his absolute sovereignty. This is echoed in Daniel 4, where Nebuchadnezzar is brought back to um, a sane state after having lived like an animal, I think it was for seven years, and he praises God, and he says that no one can thwart his hand and say, what have you done? God is uh, completely sovereign. But this contrast between the false idols made by man and God himself is, I think, really meant to show that God is the one who can do these things, but these things that are made by man cannot prove any effect. They cannot do anything uh, worth noting. It cannot do anything at all. Um, and I want to go to Isaiah 44, 6 through 20, and this is somewhat of a lengthy passage, but I think it'll be uh, helpful for our discussion today. 
So it says, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. And who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it and set it in order for me. Since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show these to them. You know, this is a, a verse uh, certainly in support of God's decree. Uh, do not fear nor be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. So God has laid out who he is. He's laid out his absolute sovereignty and power. But then he goes on to mock those who make idols. Verse 9, those who make an image, all of them are useless, and their precious things shall not profit. They are their own witnesses. They neither see nor know that they may be ashamed. Who would form a god or mold an image that profits him nothing? Surely all his companions would be ashamed, and the workmen, they are mere men. Let them all be gathered together. Let them stand up. Yet they shall fear. They shall be ashamed together. The blacksmith with the tongs works one in the coals, fashions it with hammers, and works it with the strength of his arms. Even so, he is hungry, and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. So it's like uh, God is saying here, the one who's making the idol can't even be self-sustaining himself. And you want to submit and pray to an idol and put that idol above yourself? Really? It, it's calling out the stupidity of this um, and how foolish it is. Verse 13, the craftsman stretches out his rule. He marks out one with chalk. He fashions it with a plane. He marks it out with the compass. It makes it like the figure of a man, according to the beauty of a man that it may remain in the house. He cuts down cedars for himself and takes the cypress and the oak. He secures it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a pine and the rain nourishes it. Then shall it be for a man to burn, for he will take some of it and warm himself. Yes, he kindles it and bakes bread. Indeed, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it a carved image and falls down to it. He burns half of it in the fire. With the half, he eats meat. He roasts a roast and is satisfied. He even warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm, I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god. His carved image. He falls down before it and worships it, prays to it, saying, Deliver me, for you are my God. They do not know nor understand, for he has shut their eyes so they cannot see, and their hearts so they cannot understand. And no one considers in his heart, nor is there knowledge nor understanding to say, I have burned half of it in the fire. Yes, I have also baked bread on its coals. I have roasted meat and eaten it. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before the block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside. And he cannot deliver his soul, nor can, nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? So you can see the stark contrast being made by God here. I am the sovereign one. I am the one who works all things. I declare what is going to happen. These idols can't do it. And the people who make them can't even take care of themselves. They're not self-sustaining. So why do you think that the things that they make are going to be able to deliver them from anything? So it's, uh, it's a very interesting contrast, but I think starkly shows uh, God's power and his sovereignty. And that's what we see here in the Catechism. God is the sovereign one above all things. He does whatever he pleases, as opposed to all others. There is no other God uh, besides him. So that's what we see here. Um, and really what Hercules Collins is referencing here is this uh, all-powerful God that we see that he is completely sovereign, able to work his will. And that should bring us great comfort as Christians, 
that he is able to bring about his promises and his purposes, and man is not going to thwart him. And he is a heavenly father who does love us and does take care of us. And we see in Romans 8, 15, uh, that we can call him Abba, Father, because we have been received by the spirit of adoption as sons. We've been grafted in. We've been brought in as sons. And we can call him truly our father, but our father will sustain us and take care of us um, in all of life's activities. All right. So moving on to the next question here. Question 26. Question 26. What is the providence of God? The almighty power of God everywhere present, whereby he does, as it were, by his hand, uphold and govern heaven and earth with all creatures therein, so that those things which grow in the earth as likewise rain and drought, fruitfulness and barrenness, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, in a word, all things come not rashly and by chance, but by his fatherly counsel and will. So we see here um, kind of a reiteration of one of the sub-themes of question one, which is that God, what we just talked about, God working all things out to the counsel of his will or, or according to his pleasure. Um, and this is really what God's providence is. It's a working out of God's decree in time. All those things that God has decreed to come to pass will come to pass. Um, and we see uh, this kind of laid out even in uh, Hebrews 1. If you look at Hebrews uh, 1, 2 through 3, uh, has in the slack days, last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So everything, this world, this creation, all things that come to pass um, are upheld by the word of his power. So God is keeping uh, this world in order uh, by his word. And as Sean said, we don't believe in a, in a deist God. This isn't a God who just winds the clock, kind of sets everything in stage and just lets it go, you know, winds up the toy and lets it run. He doesn't do that. He's intimately involved in everything that happens. And he is upholding this world by the word of his power. Um, it, we also see this in Jeremiah 5.24. They do not say in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God, who gives rain, both the former and the latter, in its season. He reserves for us the appointed weeks of the harvest. So even the seasons, the creation, the cycles of creation, the laws of nature are all brought about by God's power. Um, so that's really what divine providence is. It, it's God working out his, uh, his plan, his purpose and time for his good, uh, for his good pleasure and ultimately for his glory. And that's something else we can rest in. We can rest in that providence that God will work ultimately everything out for a good uh, Romans eight twenty eight. that for those who love God, he will work all of those things out for us, good and bad. They will all work out for our good because there is purpose in them. Now, James White has talked about this. There's the, the reason why this verse can make sense is because there is purpose behind even the bad things that happen. Um, and so we can, God can truly work them out and they uh, have meaning because of that. All right. Question 27. What does this knowledge of the creation and providence of God profit us? Answer that in adversity, we may be patient and thankful in prosperity and hereafter have hereafter our chief hope reposed in God, our most faithful father, 
we can be sure that there is nothing which may withdraw us from his love for as much as all creatures are so in his power that without his will, they are not able not only to do anything, but not so much as once to move. So um, this is, this is the rock solid um, assurance that we should have in God, our father. The Bible tells us that he is, he is able and he is willing. Um, So we should be patient in adversity. Um, We can, we can, we can charge through that. Um, Not that we may, we may fail and begin to doubt that that certainly does happen to Christians, but the the faith and assurance that we should have that we ideally have is, is rock solid that no matter what comes in uh, into our lives, that uh, it's for our good and for God's glory. Um. And uh, an important aspect of this that I think needs to be brought out is that uh, it says, and thankful in prosperity, because Mm -hmm. at least I know for myself that when I'm in um, prosperous seasons, I don't necessarily think about, oh, how prosperous I am right now. It's just sort of seen as the default. And then when it's when the prosperity, when the good things are taken away, that I'm going to God in prayer but really the entire time that things were good, I should have been thanking God because they could have been much, much worse. And I need, I should have been thankful for that. So we should remember when times are good um, and there will be seasons in the Christian life when they are good, that we should be giving God thanks for those times. It's important uh, not to uh, neglect those. Um we can uh, we can be sure that there is nothing which may withdraw us from His love. That's that's promised all over the uh, the New Testament. But I, I think his argument here is very interesting. For as much as all creatures are so in His power that without His will they are not able not only to do anything but uh, as much as wants to move. So as he's arguing from the greater to the lesser here, or from excuse me from the lesser to the greater. Um, that uh, we can be uh, sure that he's not going to withdraw his love for us because everything is within his control, everything. So if he's, if he's got his control on the things that um, his love isn't set upon, how much more does he have uh, control and will use it to the benefit of those creatures um, that he, he has set his love upon. And uh, I know Dan loves to uh, quote this verse, but I'm going to, quote it uh, once more, Acts 17, 27, uh, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he uh, be not far off from every one of us. Um, actually, I don't think that was the right uh, 728. 728, gotcha. Yeah, 1728. Well, uh, regardless, um, uh, so that was a proof text. Okay. Regardless, God is able to, um, he, everybody had, for in him, we live and move and have our being as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Um, every, every, everyone, every creature moves because of him. And if every creature moves because of him is able to have their being, how much more is he interested in, um, those of his particular love? Yeah, and we see this, um, one of the proof tests there is Job 130, 121. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return them. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And this is after 
um, I think it's right after Job's family was killed. Essentially, his children were killed. Uh, his wealth was taken away. And I think his wife had cursed God at that point. But Job, even in the midst of adversity, was still praising God um, and even for the good things and for the bad. Um, even though Job would crumble later and he had to repent, uh, there was this attitude of thankfulness and understanding that everything he had was from God uh, and could be taken away. He had submitted everything to God, um, to uh, to God's uh, to God's will. Um, and we see here Deuteronomy eight ten: When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which He has given you. There is to be this attitude of thankfulness that we have because what we have is not our own. What we have is not originate in us it could be taken away at any moment um, but we should praise god in prosperity uh, that we have these things that he's given us to to eat to provide for our families to have a roof over our head um, but we should not grow bitter when these things are taken away we should still praise god even in the midst of our grief and and in hardships so i think that can really show where our hearts are with regards to material things especially are we too comfortable in uh, where we live or in our whatever situation we're in. Uh, but God is, uses these things. We see in Romans 4, 5, perseverance, character, character, hope. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's given us. So perseverance and, and tribulations do produce character and produce character traits that are godly in us. Um, and so God can use those things for probably mostly for discipline. We know that Book of Hebrews talks about God disciplining those he loves uh, and punishing everyone he accepts as a son. So there is a pruning and there is a refining of his children to be more like him. And that's usually through hardship. That's what we've seen historically. Uh, the, pers the persecution of the church, uh, you, it weeds out the fake converts and it, and it strengthens the believers uh, who are faithful to the end. So God, in his love, uses these things to... Uh, to grow us closer to himself. And even in these adversities, nothing is going to separate us from, from God's love. Romans 8.35, uh, tribulation, distress, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, nothing will separate us from God's love. So even in those things, we can see his love in them. We can see his love uh, guiding us and ultimately working these things out for our good. And that's the that's a loving father that we have. He truly is a father to us. He's not some faceless, nameless um, deity who doesn't care about his creation, as the deist would say, is doesn't involve himself in his creation. God is intimately involved in each and every one of uh, lives in, in humanity in general and more specifically believers. Uh, so we can find great comfort in that, um, in our salvation, in our daily walks, um, in providing for our needs. God, our Father, is there with us. Amen. All right. So the last part of our show today, we're going to shift gears really quickly here. Uh, we're going to be going through a short video that was put out in January um, by the Pope. Uh, it's called uh, January at the Service of Human Fraternity. And this one, so let me lay out what we're going to do real quick first. So I'm, it's a very, very short video. It's a minute and 35 seconds. I'm just going to play through the whole thing. And it's in, I think it's Italian. So I'm going to read the subtitles as it's going through. 
and then we'll go through it again and stop and discuss where uh, we feel we should, we feel appropriate. Uh, but there's some things in here, hopefully you'll pick up on the first go around uh, that should stand out like a sore thumb as very uh, egregious and in error. Um, but here we go. Let's share my screen here. Here we go. When we pray to God following Jesus, we come together as brothers and sisters with those who pray according to other cultures, with other traditions and other beliefs. We are brothers and sisters who pray. Fraternity leads us to open ourselves to the Father of all and to see in the other a brother or sister to share our lives or to support, to love and to know each other. The church values God's action in other religions without forgetting that for us Christians, the wellspring of human dignity and fraternity is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believers must return to our sources and concentrate on what is essential. What is essential to our faith is the adoration of God and love of neighbor. And there's other people from uh, different religions being shown here. Uh, let us pray that the Lord may give us fellowship uh, the grace with our brothers and sisters of other religions and not fight each other and praying for one another, open ourselves to all. So yeah, and, and I messed up a little bit at the end there. Hopefully we'll get back to that. I was trying to keep up because some, you know, the he's speaking so fast and then moving quickly. Um, but yeah, so the Pope essentially, in a nutshell, is saying that we need to just be ecumenical with other religions as Christians. There really shouldn't be any uh, division or differences. Yeah, you know, we have some minor differences, but that really doesn't divide us. They're really our brothers and sisters. So we're going to go through this again. Uh, and Sean, feel free to just tell me to stop where you want to comment or whatever. But uh, here we go. When we pray to God following Jesus, we come together as brothers and sisters. With those who pray according to other cultures, other traditions, and other beliefs. You can stop yeah, here. Yeah. yeah, right so there. For those of you who are listening on audio, I know you can't see, and I'm trying to visualize this as best as you can, but... On the screen right now, we see a Muslim woman praying. Um, she is going through, uh, probably doing one of the five prayers that they have to do a day. Um, but the Pope is clearly associating what he's saying with these other religions. And he'll show a Jewish man later praying as well. But he's, he's essentially saying that, okay, Christians need to not have um, a divisive attitude towards those who pray according to other cultures, other traditions, and other beliefs. So he doesn't make a distinction between what other beliefs are. Uh, he just simply tries to blend them all together. Yeah, and that's that's the that's the crucial issue there. Um, obviously, we would recognize that just because someone's not necessarily a Reformed Baptist, we would recognize that they can be our, right. our brother and sister in Christ. Um, but when he's saying other traditions and other beliefs, and it's right on top of a picture of a Muslim, it's very clear that he's, he's referring to 
people of other religions. Now, I only see um, Jews and Muslims in the video, so he might just be trying to do an Abrahamic faith sort of thing. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure. But regardless, um, does God hear the prayers when He says we should come together with those who pray according to other cultures? Does God hear the prayers? of uh, those uh, religions, of people in those religions? Are they in right relationship with God? Um, according to the Bible, no. And even according to historic Roman Catholicism, no, they're not in re- right relation. Um, so, yeah, no, it, it's, it's, it's not good. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. the scriptures even say God does not even hear the prayers of the wicked. Yeah, so trying to pray as an unbeliever to God as if he's going to um, hear you in the same way that he would hear a Christian is just futile. It's, he doesn't bother to even pay mind to that. Um, so trying to, there's already a clear distinction, even in the practice in the scriptures. You know, if you're doing something that is contrary to um, the gospel teaching, even this is really what Paul was getting at in Galatians. If you're, teaching a different gospel, and this is clearly teaching a different gospel, essentially that the, all these other religions were all the, essentially the same thing. Um, you're anathema, and the practices that flow out of that um, are problematic as well. So trying to bring all of these religions together as if we're all the same um, is not biblical, and I think it just shows how far gone the Catholic Church has, has, um, has jumped off the cliff. Um, I mean, you look back in um, Luther's time in the 16th century, Pope Leo X, I mean, they were ready to put the guy to death uh, just for calling the Pope out on certain doctrines, uh, teaching um, that the Pope doesn't have the authority that he does and some of the problems that he was, uh, Pope Leo was exerting. Um, you know, they put people to death for things like that. But now you have a Pope who's willing to accept dissenters to Roman Catholicism as if, as if they're Christians. And the, the shift over the last 500 years has just been astonishing. We move on here. Uh, yeah, before you move on, I did actually yep. want to read uh, one verse. Proverbs sure. 28, Proverbs 28, 9. He that turneth his away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. Mm. Um, mm. So this would be a proof text, obviously, that God doesn't hear the prayers of, of the wicked. But... Um, in uh, especially in, in uh, Judaism, in a Jewish context, um, they have the law, and they have the prophecy of Christ, and they they don't hear it. That's not me being mean and just trying to put down Jews because, but from a Christian perspective, from from what God has said, He's given them what they need, and they turn away. Their prayers aren't going to be heard by Him. Um, Which is ironic, given there is a Jewish man in this video yes. who is praying yeah. and and, is, and acting yeah. like he's one with Christians, and the yeah. Proverbs would have primarily been written to Jews. Yeah, <laughs> well, pr- primarily written to the people of God, whether they be in the Jewish context or otherwise. Yeah. yeah, historically at least. Yeah, yeah. We are brothers and sisters who pray. And now he's showing, uh, they're showing the Jewish man praying. We are brothers and sisters who pray. Again, he's putting all of us on the same playing field. We're just all brothers and sisters. We just differ in our practice. There's Mm -hmm. no real substantial difference between what we believe with one another. 
Fraternity leads us to open ourselves to the Father of all and to see in the other a brother or sister to share our lives or to support, to love, and to know each other. Now, on a basic level, I would say that's true. We are to love our neighbors. God is, in a sense, the Father of all humanity in that he is the creator and we are his creation. But he's not meaning it in that way. He's not just simply saying, well, we're all brothers and sisters by God's um, creation, but there's these distinctions over here. Uh, he's not doing that. He's taking a love of God and love of neighbor to an unbiblical extreme, an unbiblical level. Yeah. And um, such as uh, religions such as Islam, they don't wouldn't even recognize God as father. There's a, a portion of the Quran, which I don't have the reference off the top of my head, that says uh, essentially God is the father to no one. They would not recognize Jesus as the son, and neither neither would uh, no. the Jewish religion. So to to say that we're all praying um, and sort of implying that it's it's going up to God the Father, they don't even recognize him necessarily as, as father. They reject the Trinity. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, uh, we don't. We don't fundamentally have the same God. Yeah, I understand that the um, people want to put uh, Christianity, Judaism, modern Judaism, and uh, Islam in the same Abrahamic religion basket. Uh, we all believe in the God of Abraham, but who we believe that God of Abraham was, is, and shall be, uh, is very, very different um, yes. to the point where it's not reconcilable. Is 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 mm -hmm. God triune? Is he? Is that uh, did one member of the Trinity come to Earth and die as a propitiation for sins or not? Right. Um, yeah, so. and they would not. They would not accept the crucifixion in the same way that we would. Obviously, they don't believe mm -hmm. he died for uh, sins in the same way that we do. Um, so that there's these fundamental differences, and that's why this is a gospel. It has implications yes. for the gospel. Yeah. Because now you have a different God, you're going to inevitably have a different gospel because that God that you've created and whatever gospel you formulated is going to work much differently than uh, than what we see here. The church values God's actions in other religions without forgetting uh, that for us Christians, and I think he goes on to talk about love for neighbor, but the church values God's action in other religions. Uh, that is a truly astounding statement to me. Um, and it, by the church, he's obviously talking about the Catholic church. He's not talking about Baptists or Presbyterians. I can guarantee you that. Um, but the Catholic church is, values God's action in other religions. So he's assuming that God actually is working positively in other religions, not just in the church. So my question to that would be, what is your relevance again as the Catholic Church distinct from anything else? What, what is your relevance? I, I don't know. There's Again, these distinctions are blurred. The fundamentals are just thrown out the window, and it's just, well, you know, let's just all get along, guys. We're, we don't mm -hmm. need to fight here. Um, but does, that truly is an astounding statement. Yeah. Does, does God act through religions that are fundamentally opposed to him and his message? <laughs> is, is, that, is that what he does? Um, because I see no evidence in, in scripture for oh, no. such a thing. Um, Maybe just providentially, he, he works out his purposes in that way, but mm -hmm. not in 
not according to his prescriptive will, certainly not. And let's um, let's compare uh, actually a, a scriptural example of just being slightly off in your religion. Yeah. So um, the uh, biblical Judaism, obviously, at, at the time of Jesus, is the is the true religion. Um, and I would think biblical Judaism today is the true religion. It's just modern Jews aren't biblical Jews. Um, but uh, for those of you who don't know, the Samaritans, who you see pop up every now and then, um, had a, a form of Judaism. They were mixed race. The northern tribes got conquered by Assyria, and the Assyrians played games where they deported a bunch of them and brought in um, uh, peoples from other ethnic groups in, and there was intermarriage. And they came to have a Judaism that it, it shares a lot of similarities with uh, biblical Judaism, but is not exactly the same. So when Jesus confronts um, or is talking with the uh, woman at the well, um, th- this is a this is a, a portion of that conversation. The woman the woman saith unto him, uh, and the woman at the well was a, a Samaritan. I should include that. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We worship what we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the father in spirit and in truth for the father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So despite the closeness of the Samaritan religion to Judaism, it's probably the closest religion in the ancient world to biblical Judaism. Jesus tells her, you don't know what you worship. Salvation is from the Jews. It is the Jewish religion that produces salvation. So same, same issue today. Abraham, uh, the Abrahamic religions, modern Judaism and Islam, they're close in a sense to Christianity. They all believe in Abraham. Um, they all have other superficial similarities, but salvation is not through those those means um it's through through those religions it's through christianity it's through believing in the lord jesus christ um for for sacrifice of sin and uh his righteousness being applied to us um and it, the the verses jesus at on jesus's lips he even says that um in order to be a true worshiper of god you must be worshiping him in spirit and in truth Mm-hmm. They don't. Uh, these religions don't even necessarily believe that uh, you have the Holy Spirit, um, and mm-hmm. the truth that they have it isn't truth. It's it's not. It's not the truth about God. It's not the truth about what He's done. Not in the most important aspects. So um, for the Pope to be not highlighting these issues and just implying that people are all right because they're they're able to pray and God is working through those religions implying that they're all right when they are not, they're not in right standing with God. Um, that's, that's horrible. That's absolutely horrible for a man who claims to be the head of the true church yeah. to be letting people know or letting people think, Oh, you're, you're all right. God hears you. God hears you. 
you're you're in a sense just like us we're all praying for each other whatever rather than giving them a, a warning a stern warning no um god is god is wrathful with the wicked and your sins are not covered um that's that's it's evil yeah he's not loving his neighbor no no <laughs> he's not loving no. his neighbor he's yeah. he's just encouraging them in their sins that's all yep. he's doing that that and and given his position uh, he will be held to greater account because of yes, that. Absolutely. He knows better, and he has the gospel in it. I mean, he knows what it is in, the, in a sense, um, but he's certainly not teaching that to uh, his fellow man. And, yeah, that's dangerous stuff. Dangerous stuff. Yeah. In the other religions, the wellspring of human dignity and fraternity is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you start, like we just talked about, if you start blurring that distinction and saying that, well, God, God is really working in these other religions, but we still have the gospel here that we need to get human dignity and fraternity from, uh, that gospel now has absolutely no meaning. Because if God can work in other religions and we're all just essentially the same, um, even though Jews and Muslims both reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, um, as we would understand it, um, then you've completely undermined the whole reason for having the gospel as the foundation for those things. And we would agree in principle that, yeah, the wellspring of human dignity and fraternity is in the gospel of Christ. It unites. It brings forth true love for our neighbor. Um, mm -hmm. But once you blur that distinction, uh, there is no gospel anymore. There is no gospel anymore. It's just a, it's just lip service. Um, but practically speaking, in effect, it doesn't mean anything. We believers must return to our sources and concentrate on what is essential. So this is, again, that, that mere Christianity kind yeah. of mindset. Oh, mere religion kind of yeah, mere religion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess it, it is a little ambiguous when he says we believers. Is he referring to the Catholic faithful or is he referring to everyone? I don't know. I think it might be everyone because yeah. he's, showing, he's showing the Muslim. They're showing yeah. the Muslim lady. Yeah. He's picking up her phone. and Yeah. So uh, he's saying they're believers. And sure, they're believers in a sense. They be In the sense that they believe in something. But right. believing in something is not sufficient. James tells us that you believe God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Right. It doesn't mean anything yeah. for their salvation. <laughs> yeah, their belief doesn't help them in any way. Neither neither does the belief of any anyone else. You must believe in Christ. He's uh, yes. He is the only God that exists. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're the yeah. only God that exists. Believing in any other one will not save you. Um, it's not, you'll get up to the judgment and um, you'll say to God, well, I believed in something. Because <laughs> uh, we've, we've been over it many times on this podcast, but Romans 1 tells us that everyone knows there is a God. Everyone. So everyone who denies that God, whether they have the fullness of knowledge of him or not, they're, they're denying him. They're suppressing that knowledge and going off and worshiping mm -hmm. things according to their own liking, um, yeah. th there is no excuse. Nobody will ever be able to go up to the on the day of judgment and say, oh, I didn't know you existed. 
No, everyone knows that he's, uh, God's existed. As we were talking about with uh, God's power during the uh, catechism section, um, God is able to communicate that he exists. He communicates through the means of the created order. Mm-hmm. And um, everybody will be without excuse. Obviously, yes. we're not saying that because uh, God communicates through the created order, everybody has infallible knowledge of God. Obviously, that's that's not true. Right. But there are there are basics that God has communicated, and to ignore them, um, it doesn't matter what you believe in. You haven't believed in the God you knows you know to be there. Yep, exactly right. And, and again, it goes back to what is essential. He doesn't really yes. define what that means because yeah. we know essentially. Well, Islam rejects Christianity as we understand it. Um, so does so do the Jews. They don't believe that mm-hmm. Jesus was the Messiah. So those are essentials. And, it's, and mm-hmm. clearly the Pope either doesn't understand or doesn't care what those mm-hmm. essentials are. Yeah. Well, do you even remember if he mentions Christ at all in this video? He may have. Like Just once, the, but he mentioned the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, okay. So... To, ha- to be talking about prayer and not mentioning Christ, um, we have one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Amen. Um, our, there is no other mediator by which we can stand before God and even ask him of anything. Right. Uh, it's, not, it's not ourselves. We're not, we're not righteous enough. God is perfectly holy and perfectly just, and we are not. Uh, we are not able to stand before him and request anything apart from Christ's mediation. Mm. And um, for someone who claims to be the head of the church, he should know this. You know, that, that whole infallible uh, speaking of the Pope thing, you know, kind of important. Nuestras fuentes. Y concentrarnos en lo que es esencial. What is essential to our faith is the adoration of God in love of neighbor. So what does it mean to love God then? It, loving God means keeping his commandments. Uh, loving God is obeying him. Um, and you're clearly not doing that by hating your neighbor. So yeah. And, and the love of neighbor, you know, you're not doing either one of those things. Well, you've captured the two tables of the law, but you ain't doing any of them. <laughs> no, no. As, <laughs> as the hypocrites, the hypocrites always do. They try to say that they're, keeping both uh both tables of the law when really they're not yeah so he says what is essential to our faith is the adoration of god and love of neighbor adoration in a a roman con roman catholic context normally means worship right the worship of god are you worshiping god is well if you're saying that's that's essential are are they worshiping god no 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 they're Mm -hmm. not they don't they don't even know him not in uh not in the intimate sense um John fourteen fifteen, uh, this is Jesus speaking. If ye love me, keep my commandments. Are 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 is the Pope trying to convince people to keep the commandments of God? The very first commandment, in the Ten Commandments, is uh, you shall have no other gods before me. Mm. And he's he's not he's not doing that. He's he's constantly throughout this thing presenting people as if they're okay. There, there's there's no worry here. There's not even a hint that there might be something wrong, like dangerously wrong. Obviously, if you were to ask him, I'm sure he would say, oh, well, Roman Catholicism is a better way to interact with God or something to that effect. But there's not really any anything in this um, this video about that 
unbelievers, those of other religions, might be in any sort of danger. Mm. And we're, we're here to yeah. tell you that if you are uh, not a Christian, if you are not believing in Jesus Christ, you are in danger. Um, yes. Uh, Jesus says, or uh, in John chapter three, it says that um, whoever does not believe uh, believe in the Son, the wrath of God abides on him. Yes, because we are all under wrath um, by from our sins, from our nature, and without uh, Jesus's atoning work, that just it remains on us. And God has provided one way of salvation. Well, it, two ways in the sense of if you were able to keep the law perfectly, then. Yes, you could achieve salvation, but nobody is able to do that. In effect, it's only one way. Yeah, one way of salvation, believing in Jesus Christ. And the Pope does not present that in any anywhere in here. And he claims to be the vicar of Christ. The vicar of Christ is a title of the papacy. The vicar, sort of like you hear it in the word vicarious. It's it's something in a place of another. He's He's claiming to be Christ's representative on earth. Well, if he's Christ's representative and he's 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 not warning anyone, he's saying, oh, what's important is to worship God, not defining who God is or how he's to be worshipped. Um, that, that's blasphemy. This man is a blasphemer. I have. Yes. I, it's just blasphemy. There's the anathema that Paul has in Galatians is upon him. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and and you know, he's teaching a false gospel. And if if I I have no idea if the the Pope would ever watch this or not. But uh, if he's watching, I'd say you need to repent. You don't know God. And uh, he he is, you you claim to be his representative and you you teach this. That is not not something I would have to, uh, I would want to have to account for on the day of judgment. You Mm -hmm. need to repent and believe in Jesus and actually listen to what he said because what he said contradicts everything that you've been saying in this video. Yes. Amen. La adoración a Dios y el amor al prójimo. Let us pray that the Lord may give us the grace to live in full fellowship. Full fellowship. So the grace to live in full fellowship with unbelievers. Mm-hmm. As if nothing's wrong. We can just, you know, go along yep. and and we're just all locking arms here, hand in hand. That reminds me of uh, first, what was it? Is it Second Corinthians seven, the uh, um, unequally yoked passage? It could be. I don't remember off the top I, of my I head. Don't remember off the top of my head. But Paul does talk about that being unequally yoked with unbelievers. What does uh, Christ have to do with um, with idols? Right? And we see this very clear, uh, very clear in the scriptures. We're not to, at least at a religious sense, have a partnership with false religions. You know, and uh, he's clearly advocating for that. We're not to fight e- and not fight each other. You know, we're yeah. not to fight each other, Sean. Yeah. How dare you no. speak out against these well, false religions? There's a difference between physically fighting someone and warning them that what they believe is not true and even getting into an argument about that. You know, yeah. uh, like we're, we're Baptists. We don't believe in um, forced conversion in the sense of like, you can you can put a gun to someone's head and say if you don't profess faith faith in Christ you're going to die and that person professes faith but that doesn't mean that their heart is actually changed right uh, we don't we don't believe that's even an effective means or that God would call for such a thing that we would we would physically fight for um, spiritual things like that but that's not to say that 
it's somehow wrong to confront someone or graciously right. present the gospel to them that um, what you believe is false and you need to believe this in order to be right with God. Um, there is so, a division that is inherent in the gospel because people are going to hate it. Yeah. They're going to hate us for it. Jesus yeah. taught that very clearly. Um, yeah. So it, it's kind of a, it, it does two things. It, it does divide. So those who hate Christ and his gospel will hate us, but then it does unify because those who are of different religions or of different ethnic backgrounds who uh, become Christians therefore are unified. You know, there's no, there's no uh, slave free, Scythian, etc. We're all one in Christ. So it does both. It will have an effect either way. Yeah. And throughout this thing, there's the implied implication that, Oh, we're all brothers and sisters. We're all in right relationship to God. No one except the Christian is a child of God. And thus we are not, we are not brothers and sisters in that sense. Uh, mm-hmm. John uh, uh, 1, uh, verse 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become Amen. the sons of God, even yes. to them that believe on his name. Mm. Now, that might be confusing to someone who's not familiar with Christianity. Like, what, what do you mean that we become sons of God? Aren't we sons of God by the virtue of the fact that uh, God has created us? And the answer is no, actually. Um, with the fall of the human race, with with Adam, uh, we were we were basically disinherited. We're not children of God. We're uh, the Bible elsewhere describe us as offspring of God, but he never uh, it never uses that that personal relationship term of of son and daughter. Like that's that's a lot more personal than just offspring. Right. Um, and only those that believe are um, are sons and and daughters. And uh, the Bible elsewhere says when Jesus is speaking to the Jews, he says, God is not your father. You are of your father, the devil, for he was a liar at the beginning and you follow after him uh, is essentially the, the, the rest of that verse. Um, so to present us as all brothers and sisters and not even not even. Uh, I mean, it's, it's the same thing we've discussed. He's, he's not giving them the warning. He's letting them know everything's fine. And I know that sort of teaching has effects on people. I have a Roman Catholic friend that at one point I, I had a, a discussion with him about, like, is everybody a son and daughter of God or not? And he, he might have, after our conversation, he might have come away with the truth. I'm not sure. But he, this man is the Pope. He has influence on people. People who don't know better are listening to him and, and thinking that this is okay. And it's not. It is right. absolutely not. I can't. I can't stress that enough. Yeah. Yeah. And in, and in the spot I paused right here, you can see that, you know, they're, they're all in this communal together, helping one another. And these things aren't bad in and of themselves. We're not saying that, but the way it's being presented is mm-hmm. as if there's no issue as if the wrath of God doesn't mm-hmm. abide on, on these people at all. If this, if this video is purely about engaging social work with people of other religions, we would not be having this discussion today. Correct. The the Correct. issue purely is this implies that people of other religions are right with God, and that is that is detrimental to the gospel. It's it's cruel ultimately uh, to yes. our neighbors. Amen. Uh, we're not we're not out here blasting the Pope because you know it's like okay let's be mean to the Pope today. No, <laughs> we we believe that this is actually cruelty to our neighbors. Mm-hmm. 
Um, the Pope, you, you, you listen to him. He's, he's, he's old. He seems nice, kind, whatever, but it doesn't matter how he seems. His actions are what, um, are cruel or not. Cruelty is an objective thing. It's not a subjective thing. Right. And he is absolutely cruel, being cruel to those that, uh, watch this video. He's not loving his neighbor by warning them, Hey, something is wrong. I don't ultimately know if he believes if there's anything, um, and that uh, God would be angry towards anyone. And then ultimately that's a issue of, he hasn't believed what God said. God has spoken yeah. in his word of these things and um, he's not believing him. And ultimately he will suffer the same fate as them. If they do not repent, if any of them do not repent, um, especially the Pope because of all his light. Um, yes. Yeah. Yep. So. That's exactly right. Yeah. The, the condemnation is, Remove only for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8. Yes, and exactly. And that falls along the tail of what Paul was talking about, you know, the, the struggling Christian in Romans 7. But he yep. uh, says, who will save me from this body of death? Mm-hmm. Praise be to God for Jesus Christ. And then he mm-hmm. goes on to say that those who have this belief are not um, condemned. So it's only in Jesus Christ that condemnation is lifted, that wrath is removed. Uh, but none of that is discussed here whatsoever. Nope. In praying for one another, open ourselves to all. Same principle. So that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we've discussed the Pope, um, and I, and hopefully this can be seen in light of what we talked about. Let me move this away. What we talked about in here is who who God the Father really is, and who God really is in His nature, and how He works in the world. Um, and I know we've talked about this before about our sinful state before God. And I even think we've talked about his judgment. Um, those things are very real. Um, and I'll close with just a, you know, a brief gospel message. But uh, if you fall into this camp of this ecumenicalism, maybe you're a Roman Catholic or, you know, someone who's a Roman Catholic who believes these things, um, you know, they will face the wrath of God one day. If they do not repent, wrath of God abides on them now. We all have broken God's law. We've broken uh, the commandments that he's laid out. And, and the law is meant to show us our sin. It shows us our unrighteousness. As Paul said, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. It's a, it's a measuring stick against who we are, morally speaking, spiritually speaking. And we've broken that. Uh, Roman Catholics will uh, say, you know, yes, we have to believe by faith, but we have to do other things in addition to that. It's not faith alone. It's not Christ alone. It's not his sufficient work alone. Those are just additional things that help us along the way. It doesn't actually save us exclusively. Um, so in order to be saved, you must repent of your sins, believe in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, uh, that that work was done for you. You must believe that. Uh, and you will be justified. You will receive that perfect righteousness where you could not keep his law. He did it for you if you believe in him. And that will uh, that will bring you under that light that God has given. You will no longer uh, have condemnation in his eyes. You will be uh, welcomed into his, his kingdom uh, because of what Christ did. And so we want to leave you with that today. Uh, turn from your sin if you do not know Christ. Uh, repent and believe in him. Uh, do not follow this Pope. This man is a, an abomination in the eyes of God. He is a false teacher. Uh, he is anathema. He teaches a different gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
we hope that uh, that you turn from your sins if you do not know him. And Christian, uh, be encouraged by this gospel. God has done all of the work. Let that motivate you to turn from your own personal sins as a Christian to constantly grow in greater holiness uh, with our Lord. Uh, but with that, we thank you for joining us today. Um, we, I know we took a little bit of, of a different turn, but thanks for joining us. And Lord willing, we will be back next week. God bless you all.